Mickey scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Hey, this is Bruno DiGiulio, Racing with Bruno. And I've got a great guest lined up for today, and we're going to get to him in just a minute. I want to talk to you, first of all, this is Holy Bull Week, and we're going to be talking Holy Bull and the Holy Bull card at Gulfstream Park on Friday night at 8 p.m. on our Zoom, our gold member Zoom, our Holy Bull Zoom. It's going to go over all the races we, we've done. We do that every Friday. The last two weeks, we've had the Lecomte, uh, where we came up with a $59 horse, Call Me Midnight, and passed the plate at $19. And also, last weekend, we did it for the Pegasus, where we came up with six top winners. So it's a great opportunity to be able to see what we see and, and look at the horses from our eyes. And hopefully you can learn and, and use the same techniques we do. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's about an hour, an hour and a half. And if you can't make it, I can get the replay to you. It's forty nine ninety five. You can go to racingwithbruno.com, sign up. You get the simulcast edition. It's very well worth it. And... I'm looking forward to seeing you. I've been looking forward to this. I want to talk to a special young man. I know his father really well, Carlo Vacaritza, his son, Nicholas Vacaritza. Uh, I will tell you, this, gen- this young guy has already gone through a lifetime, it seems, on experiences. And we're lucky to have him in the racing game. Let's find him. Nicholas, are you on board? How you doing, Bruno? Thank you for having me. Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, my, I, I remember at 22, I was a bonehead, okay? I, was, I, I, I didn't know anything about real life. You've been through a lot, and I'm sure that's matured you a little bit. You want to tell our listeners a little bit how you, uh, how, you know, in your life, in your short life so far, uh, what you've had to overcome and what you had to deal with and how you got into racing? Well, when I was born, my dad, he was a big time gambler, fan of the race, uh, of the racing industry. And, um, so he raised me, you know, going to the track, going to Calder. He would always take me to the the backside in the mornings. And, uh, that's really where my love of horse, horse racing came about. Um, like you said, a lot of 22 year olds, my age, you know, they're ignorant, immature, I feel like I just found what I want to do and I'm very concentrated on what I want to do in life and what I want to accomplish. So I'm blessed to have found, you know, what I like and I'm allowed to scope in at an early age what I want to do. Um, when I was 12, we won the Breeders' Cup turf with Little Mike. Um, that was one of... Uh, my dad's biggest horses to date, one of the first ones he had. Um, so that really put the uh, the nail in the coffin on my passion for the game, being so young and experiencing um, the, the trip that little Mike put us on and how he changed our life. Uh, so ever since then, I've been going to the barn. My dad started training when I was 13. So you know, just doing everything that needs to be done and some. And uh, that's really 
you know, how what brought me to where I am now. Um, I think like you said earlier, I don't know if you're on air, but you were Italian and you immigrated here when you were 10. I think that's, that rubbed off my dad on the me a lot. Um, you know, growing up in an Italian household, my dad doesn't really put up with a lot of BS and, <laughs> you know, you know how, you know, oh, how it is. yeah. so, oh, yeah. And the older you get, you know, the funny thing, the older you get, you, you know, you get, you know, when you're young, you know, you can put up with a lot, you know, you put up with your friends and everything. As you get older, um, as you get older, it seems like you get turned more into your parents, just like the commercial does, right? You turn more into your parents and you, and, and you just don't have time for anybody that's going to waste your time. So um, I love Carlo for that. He's pretty straight out blunt. Now, now, Nick, I, I tell a little bit about what do you do with uh, at the barn? What is your responsibilities? What are you hoping to accomplish and where do you want to go? Well, you know, over my, I guess, career so far, I've had a lot of responsibilities, you know, started as a hot walker, helping with the vets, being a foreman, getting on the pony. I mean, I could really do anything besides gallop a horse. Um yeah, that's a, you know, I, I do what needs to be done. And what really benefited me from starting from the bottom and having such a love for the horse is that I'm a true horseman. Um, especially right now, my dad's got about 20 horses in training and I'm scoping in on everything and and it's really showing me how well of a horseman I have become over the time. And um, I don't want to sound like I'm blowing myself up, but I am proud that I can call myself a horseman. And I know that it is a skill or a blessing or a trait that not a lot of people have. And even guys that are successful in the business, they're not horsemen. They're good businessmen. They're good trainers. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm blessed to call myself a horseman. Um, some things that if you if I were to say, you guys wouldn't believe. But horses have dignities. They have souls. They have attitudes. They have emotions. And the, the more I am with horses and, you know, get to know a horse. And I just think having cards in my pocket that, you know, Joe Schmo another trainer he doesn't have it's just gonna make me a better trainer in the future so you know I just like to keep evolving and and learning as much as I can I currently go to UK uh, I'm a student of equine science I actually just left the class equine anatomy we had to put together a, a leg front leg of a horse so I'm learning the stuff you do in the barn and the scientific bet, all that stuff as well. So I'm, I'm blessed to be at the University of Kentucky with all the knowledge that I brought beforehand. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy to be helping the teacher out, to be giving everybody study tips. Oh, this is that. This is this. And uh, yeah. 
it, 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 you uh, are, are mentioning something that I always say uh, to clients on my Zoom classes is that you never stop learning. I'm, I just turned 60 and I can tell you, I still learning. And, yeah. and the one part about this game that you're learning is, is you're not only learning the anatomy and you're learning about the, the physiology of a horse, but also you're learning about dealing them as, as beings, anybody that has a pet, um, um, or, you know, has a dog or, you know, a horse totally understands because they, it's like my boy, Joe, my, my Husky Joe, he is, it's like, I'm raising a boy. I'm like, I'm yeah. raising another kid. <laughs> I raised two daughters, you know, now I'm raising a boy and, uh, you know, he, and, and, and the same thing with horses, you really are, horses can be funny, can't they? They, they do a lot of stuff that sometimes they just want to hurt themselves because yeah. they, don't, they don't understand well, and you got to keep them from doing that. Horses are herd animals. Dogs are pack animals. So they're kind of alike, but a horse is an animal of prey and a dog is a predator. So like you said, horses, sometimes most most of the times they'll get themselves hurt doing stuff that they don't mean to do, but they have a, fl a natural flight zone. So like I said, they're, they're animals of prey. So their instinct is get away from the predator. And a lot of times, you know, a horse will get spooked, get loose and end up sliding down the street on the pavement. So yeah, you're right. A lot of times horses get, end up getting themselves into their own trouble. I was um, witness to that way back, I believe around 1992 at Del Mar, when a horse from the Don Luby barn, Don Luby was an old time trainer, who later on became stall manager, just a really classy, good guy. And the horse got loose on the backside of Del Mar and ended up on the front side of Del Mar on the apron while they were redoing reconstruction. He tried to, to hurdle uh, one of those uh, stack of timbers uh, clipped his uh, hind legs on it when flying on the pavement. I remember grabbing him by the shank, you know, that he still had. And uh, people came and got him, and he was all messed up. But I'll tell you what was amazing. A month later, that horse came back and, found, and ran and won. And, and it really kind of taught me how tough horses are. Um, and, and speaking of tough, um, what you have gone through – uh, through your final year at, at at high school, that is that made you the mature young man that we're hearing on this podcast. So to give the listeners a little backstory of what you're talking about, um, when I was a senior in Florida at, at in high school, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, um, uh, an ex student um, came in with a firearm and and killed 17 people and left 17 people with a with a bullet in them so he hit 34 people and um it was i think the biggest massacre in a high school ever and um my brother little mike he was a sophomore at the time so um like i said um it's the italian family type of thing um the day that that happened we were just thinking it was a normal fire alarm. And the funny thing was the school was telling our parents and us that there's going to be a shooting drill. 
So you got all these kids in school thinking, oh, there's going to be a random shooter drill, this and that. Um, five minutes before class is over that one day, there goes a fire alarm. So everyone's just like, all right, well, it's a fire alarm. Let's, let's do what we got to do, you know, get away from the building, stand in a field. And um, which really put us more vulnerable. But um, so we're out in the field and you start hearing these these gunshots and people are like, oh, it must be the drill. Don't worry about it. And as soon as I heard, you know, three or four, I think I heard like five, five of them rip. I said that that ain't no speaker, you know. That sounded like, you know, crisp. You know, I heard a gun shoot before and, and that was that was no joke. So you know how an Italian family is? I don't know where my brother is. That's the first thing that comes into my mind. Where's my little brother? So my phone's broken at the time. At the time my phone's broken. So I get my buddy's phone. He's on the lacrosse team with my brother. I FaceTime him so that I knew if he would answer, if he's in the spot where the guy was, any corner of the school, I would know where he's at. So God forbid if he was if he was on the floor hit, I'd know where to go to get him. So thank God, thank God that, you know, my brother was right near me in a sense. So we linked up, hopped the fence and, and got away from the school as fast as we really could. Um, I lost a couple of buddies in there. My friend Joaquin, um, a girl I knew for a long time, Meadow Pollock. Bunch of kids I had classes with all lost their lives that day. I know a couple of kids that got shot. I know a kid who lost his brother. So it was just a really, really bad day. And did it make me more mature? I don't know. But you know, it's something that happened to me and I feel like everybody is a compilation of what has happened to them. And I guess, you know, a part of me is that. So I'm not going to take it as a negative and I know people died and everything, but, um, may they rest in peace. I got to just keep my chin up and keep moving forward and keep doing what I was put on this world to do. So, you know, I'm not letting nothing stop me from becoming a trainer and doing what I really love. Now, you also mentioned that you love, you know, gambling on the horses. Have you, um, do you, do, do you enjoy picking up your fast performances, sitting down and handicapping? Are you a tournament, tournament player? Do you have certain angles you look like? Because people are going to want to know, hey, you know, what does Nick, what can Nicholas, tell me that can help me in my handicapping where will you what what is the first thing you notice when you handicap a horse well first i look at the condition of the race um let's say we're betting on the 12th race at Gulfstream. look at the condition of the race um start breaking it down horse by horse see what kind of company they were running in see if they had you know back class i mean there's a a ton of different things um like you do you you watch the breezes. That's a big one for me, and and that's a big one I took away from Chad. Chad's really big on uh, the breezes and and how horses are doing, and 
hitting them at their peaks. That's why he's so good, and, and I'm blessed to have been with Chad and been a little fly on the wall in his barn for a couple of years. And, and that's and really, Chad Brown, by the way. Yeah, yeah Chad Brown. Um, excuse me. Um, handicapping, I've always liked handicapping. Um, I remember my dad used to have to buy me a form because I was too young. I called her to get one, and um, he was making my bets for me and everything. And, you know, um, I saw that the uh, Kinchin got DQ'd, and, and I felt bad for him because, you know, the winner got, I think, three-quarters of a million dollars, 750000 and – you know, Kinchin just got kind of screwed for going to Gulfstream. But like like anything, if there's rules written, the rules are meant to be followed. So I, I go by the rule book on that one every day of the week. I think um, Kinchin was a little bit out of pocket for going to Gulfstream. Um, costed him 750000 obviously, and he knows that. But um, – but he the still rules would have are rules have for won. a reason. But he still would uh, have to have won. Oh, he didn't know? win at all. Yeah, no, but I'm saying even if he stayed there, he still would have had to have won. Oh um, yeah, uh, the there's a big there's a big advantage of being at the racetrack. I had to agree <laughs> yeah. with that. The piece of yeah. that article there. Um, yeah. Every, everybody else is in Vegas in a in a hotel casino, basically at like a sports book. And, you know, Kinchin's at the uh, <laughs> 10 Palms at Gulfstream. So, well, but, sometimes, sometimes, you know, just like horses, we get ourselves into trouble all by ourselves. Yeah. I'm glad the guy who won uh, said he was some blue collar guy and yeah. he found uh, his way through handicapping. And I like how people can make a living off handicapping. It, it, it kind of, broadens my you know respect for the game on how much how many mouths it's feeding you know these guys are professional handicappers and they support the game by gambling on it and you know I'm I'm glad that they're making these tournaments and challenges uh for the the handicappers and give a little bit back like you know that guy just won 750,000 give him a little bit back for all the money that he must have lost in his handicapping <laughs> career and won, you know, you know, the ups and downs, the handicapping. I'm glad that, you know, now they're giving back to the handicappers like that, making them feel a little bit uh, more appreciated in the game because they're, they are a, a necessary fundamental to the game and the industry. I've been in this game for 35. I've been in this game since 1984. Um, and, um, I can tell you making a very good living at this game doesn't stop me from, from wanting to make that big score. And mm -hmm. I've had, I've had, let me tell you, when I was first doing it, you brought up about, you know, handicapping and making money at, 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 at the races. There was times when I was making, when I first started with the racing digest and, 1992 i was working for the racing times that's way before your time that ended up really being the form later when stephen chris brought over all the the things that the racing times had the buyer figures and everything i was working for them they didn't pick us up 
to go to the new DRF when that went out of business. So I ended up going to the Today's Racing Digest in, in uh, November of 1991. And I started clocking. And I, I'll tell you, when I first started doing that, I was making 30000 a year. Um, yeah. There was no racing with Bruno yet. I had to supplement my income for, for my family, my two daughters, uh, you know, that I had, that I, newborn daughters that I had. Um, and I'll tell you, there were days where, you know, I needed to make money at the track. And, um, and you, there was no, hey, I, I lost today. And then that really kind of teaches you um, later on now, it's like, yeah, I love to play. I love to win. But there isn't that thing to, hey, I need to make money to survive. And, yeah. and sometimes I think I miss that a little bit. I miss that a little bit, that pressure to say, hey, I need, this, I need to make this. Um, yeah. So, you know, and that's one thing sometimes when I look at uh, new, uh, new handicappers and they don't have to face any adversity you know, in their life, you had to face plenty of adversity, maybe not in racing, but in other, in other parts of your life, you had to face in adversity. In racing too, because I've got my behind handed to us with a horse, with handicapping in tons of different ways. You know, there's ups and downs to everything and the ups and downs to the horse racing is, is a bit harsh. So, I mean. But you have to always have to, for a handicapper, you got to, you know, back, get back on the horse the next day. Not literally, yeah. but figuratively. figuratively. Yeah. You have to literally get back on the horse the next day. Take, go home, you know, go to the barn. Got to feed them. Got to take care of them. Got to do the right thing. So, you know, it's there's no break. It, I, I love when people tell me, Nick, I, I'm going on vacation. Vacation? There's no days off in racing. There's no, no vacation in racing. You know, uh, like Scott Blasey said to me one time when I gave one of my guys off in Saratoga. And he needed a video of Gunrunner. He looked at me and he goes, Mike, you, you gave Mike Sunday off? If I, get, if I take Sunday off, these visions don't get fed. You know, if you know Blasey, uh, you know the way he yeah. talks. But he's right. You know, it's, it's, you, know you, you can't take a day off. Um, yeah. What's your routine now? What's your daily routine uh, like? You know, for example, what time do you have to go to bed and what time do you get up in the morning? Well, currently our horses are in Palmettos. Um, you know, my routine changes with what I got to do. Um, when I was working for Chad, I had to be at the barn by 4.30. So I had to be in bed by, you know, 9. But um, right now, my dad's horses are in Palmettos in Florida, training for this year, kind of trying to load the guns up now. Um Right now, I'm a student at UK, so if the horses were at Keeneland here, I would be working here. But since they're in Palmetto's until the end of March, right now I'm just trying to focus on my studies and and just keep sharpening them blades here in school and, and learn, learn things. I know people say, oh, why are you going to go to college to be a horse trainer, go to the barn, this and that. I've been in the barn plenty. Now I'm trying to get cards in my pocket that other guys don't have. I'm trying to I'm trying to be an overall good player, so to say. You know what I'm saying? You, you're I'm not trying, just to trying to round out a, your arsenal. 
You're trying to yes, round sir. out your, your arsenal yeah. of information yeah. and knowledge. Absolutely. You have to do that. Um, and, 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 and so you're in Lexington. And, and I got to say, you know, you and your dad, uh, had, especially during the, the late spring and, and the, in, the, in the fall, you guys had a really good Churchill meet. You had some really nice horses. You got a really good filly. And the name escapes me right now. But you got a really nice filly that is going through her conditions. Yeah, um, that's Sweet Danny Girl. So she broke yeah. her maiden at Churchill going three quarters and beat a nice filly of Brad Cox, half-sisted, essential quality named Endorsed. And I think uh, it's Endorsed. Actually, it was Famed. Famed, yeah. I knew it yeah. was something with Fame. Yeah, it's um, all right. She came back. She won at uh, Keeneland by, like, double digits, made in special, going 7-8. So Sweet Danny Girl is a really special filly, homebred by Jess's dream. Big, nice filly. The the chief, Alan Jerkins, would have loved this filly. Built like a colt, big hind end. She's, uh, she's in Florida. We're, we're, we're looking to have a pretty good year with her, knock on wood. Um, she's got a lot of talent and a lot of uh, – got looks like to have a good future ahead of her. Um, she came back and won the stake at Keeneland going three quarters, 150,000. And then we ran her back at a, in a stake at Churchill, but we had some variables on our end that we knew could have been better. And, uh, she ran third, but I don't think that was her at her peak. So that's good to know for, a trainer standpoint, my standpoint, our standpoint, knowing that that the the time she ran last out, that that really wasn't her. So we're gonna just put a put a line through that race. We gave her about five or six weeks off after that race in Ocala. We gave all the big horses a nice little breather for the year, and now they are in training at Palmetto's. Just starting to go half mile, five eighths now. She should run in. We're gonna try to get her a little soft spot to bring her back in, and then maybe long term goal the Ashland for her. It's interesting, you know. A lot of handicappers really miss the boat when they don't understand that these horses are not machines. They yeah. look at numbers like these horses should repeat their numbers, or uh, and and the reality is. You know, it's not only like like you said about your filly. She had a couple, maybe two, three big efforts in a row. You, I, I always sometimes look at it and go, she can't run any better than she ran the last two times out. And we're coming back maybe in a month or maybe four weeks or even three weeks. I have a tendency to, to downgrade her because of that, not because she's not good enough. And a lot of players don't understand that. Uh, you as a horseman, uh, sometimes you just have to use your gut feeling, don't you, about how a horse comes in into a race? Well, I mean, the factors play. Um, we had the run at Churchill. We were at Ellis over the summer, right? So she was training at Ellis. She broke her maiden at Churchill. So she was training off of Ellis's track to win at Churchill, right? From Ellis. Which... which Ellis Park doesn't get you really, really fit for any time. Actually, actually, 
I'm a fan of Ellis Park's track. I think it's one of the best tracks in in Kentucky. And we had we had that success you were just talking about at the end of the year because of Ellis. We were at Ellis from July to about I'd say after the September sale. So we were at Ellis for quite a long time and and it was it was pretty good for us. You know, the the stylistic of training, every trainer is going to have a different style. For me, and what I think is best for the horse is kind of like what Chad does. He He's not one to be, you know, breezing five-eighths in, in less than a minute. And, and he doesn't pressure his horses in the morning too much. That's why you don't see a lot of, you know, injuries and and catastrophic injuries happen to us knock on wood because our horses are not getting injured in the morning you know you see a lot of these guys they got 70 fatalities and not all of them were in the afternoon so I just think you know breezing a horse you can tell by the way they breeze the way the rider feels them how much horse they had and what time they went in, how good a horse is doing. So I'm not a big believer of bullet breezes. If a horse naturally throws a bullet, then I know he's got he's a nice horse. Like you said, go over the top. That's debatable because everybody breezes different. Um, you know, guys in California breeze really fast, and um, like I said, Chad and and our style of training is not too hard on a horse. And if our horses come back with a little problem, we assess them and we do what's right for the horse. If the horse got to go to the farm, they go to the farm. We're not going to be training unsound horses. We're not going to be running unsound horses. And by training and, and working like this, it all comes around. I feel like it's all good karma. You send the horse, he, he, he just, you know, one or other than you try to get him back to another race. He got a little problem, but he's a nice horse. Let's just send this horse to the farm for three months or whatever the injury requires. You send him out. You let him naturally fix himself. And that's the good thing about having good owners and, and good people behind you is that you don't have to keep pressing on a horse if you still having issues. So that's really how we run. I got to tell you, you guys have a homebred that your dad, you and your dad bred, and um, militarist. Um, and uh, can you give us an update on him? I always thought he's a really, really nice horse, and um, I haven't seen him in the entries lately. Give us an update on militarist. So militarist is little Mike's half brother, little brother, by Liam's map. Um. He was he was never going to be a two- or three-year-old. Um, I think he made his first start when he was three, right when he turned three, at Gulfstream. And it was a big effort on the dirt. Everyone wanted to buy this horse. He came flying at the end. Um, I remember my dad was going to sell part of them, and he was going to go to Chad. And, and, um, and Chad told him, Listen, Carlo, if we end up winning a grade one with this horse, 
it'll be great. But if you train them and you win a grade one with them, it'll be that much better for you and your family. So don't be the richest guy in the graveyard. Keep this horse. Have your fun with this horse. And this is Chad telling us this. And and this is why I respect Chad. I mean, he's a straight shooter, um, good guy, class act, good businessman. And and I think he's going to be ending up right. Um, Militaris is a really nice horse, very versatile. He could run on the grass or the dirt. Um, I don't know. He's just very naturally gifted, that horse. When we were in California, we were getting him off a layoff because – he had a little injury after he broke his maiden at Keeneland. He broke his maiden at Keeneland going a mile and a 16. He galloped, maiden special. And in that race, I knew we had something special with that horse. So my dad and I, he came back with a little problem. We sent him to Windstar, gave him all the time he needed. See, this is where people go wrong. They keep They keep pushing the envelope. We mm. gave him all the time and some to this horse. So we bring him back this year uh, in 2021 in California because we try to get away from the Kentucky winter. So we decided to try California. Everybody loved the look of this horse. I mean, he's got a presence on him like no else. And like I was talking about, you know, how dogs, horses, animals have their own, their own dignity, their own their own soul and this horse he knows he's he he knows he's he's the boss he's like uh he's like conor mcgregor i compare him to because when i bring him to the track he wants to walk slow look at everybody kind of flex his chest size everyone up take his time and um so we bring him back in california he didn't make a race there we didn't want to press him too early and run him out there. He wasn't ready to run there. So in July, we went to Ellis, started getting on him a little bit more there to run him. He he ran first off the layoff. He ran first back off the layoff in an allowance there. Chad beat us with a horse called Perjury Trap. And, you know, I'm I'm good with all the jocks. I don't got no beef with no jocks, but... Um, you know, if Tom Brady throws a bad ball and I'm his coach, I'm going to be like, Tom, you know, that was a shit pass. And <laughs> I think, I think Brian Hernandez gave him a shit ride that day. So I kind of crossed that one out. He came flying. He's trying. You watch that race back. That horse knows what he's doing in that race. And he was mad that he didn't win that race. So we brought him back, you know, four or five, six weeks later. In the same condition, he gallops there. And this year, there was no turf at Churchill. So that was a little bit of a, a throw-up. What are we going to do with this horse? But having that he's so versatile and such a such a athlete, this horse, um, my dad and Reynaldo, our assistant, and, and myself, we, we figured we'd give him a shot on the dirt. Because this horse can breeze in, in 48 in hand, gallop out nice. He's a very talented horse. So we ran him in the Fayette. And the problem with the Fayette, it rained 
all week leading up to the Fayette. And that was one thing we didn't want. You know, we wanted a fast track. We didn't want a, a slop fest that it ended up being. He hated that slop, and that was a race you could really cross out. He ran good. I think he ran fourth or fifth in the Fayette. Um, Independence Hall one, kind of wire to wire. Nobody was closing that day, and and I don't think that was his, uh, you know, max ability. So being said that there was no turf in Churchill, we had to find another race. Are we going to ship out? What are we going to do? And we were going to run him in the Shadwell instead of the Fiat. But the Fiat was, I think, two weeks after the Shadwell Mile. And we didn't want to we didn't want to rush him for that race, so we gave him a little bit more time, and we ran him in the Fiat. So after the Fiat, we had to go to this place called the Thoroughbred Training Center. And I'm not knocking the place or nothing, but that place just ain't for me. Um, I don't. Can I, let, let me jump in real quick, Nick. Nicholas, let me jump in and tell why you had to do that um, during. During uh, when when Churchill had to shut uh, shut down there in the summer to rebuild their turf course, they also did a lot of work on the main track. Everybody that was that was at Churchill had to get out and go to either Turfway or Ellis or Keeneland. Well, on August first, everybody had to leave. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, on after August first, everybody had to get out of Keeneland so they could prepare for the Keeneland's uh, yearling sale in September. Then when you guys were training there, there allowed everybody back in. You had to get out yeah. again because you had yeah. to, because of the Keeneland November sale was coming up, mm-hmm. and they needed the stall. So you guys really had a tumultuous year in twenty one because of the lack of the ability of having turf at, at Churchill, the, you know, and everything. You had to go to other tracks, and I could I could Bruno, see consistency that consistency is key. So yeah. when we had to take this horse from Keeneland to that place, you know, that place is like a, it's it's a funky track. It's not a mile, but it's not a seven-eighths track, and it's not a seven-and-a-half track. It's like a seven and, and five-eighths of a track. You've been there. I think that's where I met yeah. you one time. Yeah. Um, so. It's downhill. It's that's downhill another, That's another thing. That's another thing for a, for a handicap and, you know, back you know, a look on handicapping. Horses, they can't, they're not cars. I can't run this car on the highway and downtown. When a horse changes surface, it's going to take a little bit out of him every time, and he's going to have to kind of refresh every time he does that. So with Militarist, first we ship him across country to Santa Anita. Santa Anita's track, eh. Then we go to Ellis, good track. We're there for a nice amount of time. He wins at Ellis. He's doing good there. Then we got to move him to Keeneland. He likes Keeneland. Keeneland is a really nice track to to train on. And I think he ran pretty good in the Fayette. Um, then we got to go to the training center. So look at all these variables this horse has to go through, right? He's not just a horse that is in Saratoga training there all summer. He's not a horse that's at Churchill training there for six months there. He had to go this, there, the other. And 
we had to run him and Danny Girl off of that training center track. And both of them kind of stepped down. Militarist kind of moved up a bit. But to me, that's still not his 100% uh, in the Clark. We ran him in the Clark Handicap. That race was a phenomenal race. Thick as can be. You got two from Todd, Maxfield, Midnight Bourbon, us, Chess Chief came back and won a stake, ran in the Pegasus. So it was a really nice it was being a fan of the game, the Clark was a really fun race to watch, to participate. I loved the Clark. We ran fourth. We were the only horse running at the end. Even Maxfield was tired on the front end. Happy Saver on the wrong lead. Um Tyler kind of pulled a move on us. You know, he he kind of he kind of schooled us in that race. I think if we took his position, we might have been up there for the for the money. But you know, militarist came running and he tried, and he finished fourth. And if you watch the race back, he's the only horse closing. Um, the good thing about militarist is he's a lightly raced horse. Um, he's got a lot of heart. He's got a lot of uh, athleticism, and he's very versatile. This horse, knock on wood, I'm praying, I got praying hands right now, this horse could be a stake horse on dirt or turf. So I think moving forward this year, we're going to give him a little uh, tune-up race somewhere, maybe like a, a one-term mile, mile and a 16th at Gulfstream. And then... You know, we got a lot of options. We can go to the grass. We can go dirt. Um, I know the Keeneland's got the Ben Ali. They got the Makers Mark Mile. Um, ben looking a little bit past that. You got the Churchill Downs and the Woodford Reserve on Derby Day. So probably one of those spots he'll end up if everything stays, you know, green. Because in this business... The ups and downs of this business could be tomorrow, right now, you know. So, but one thing I got um, from Chad, Chad told me this one time. We're in the middle of January, right? He goes, I got to bring this horse out for Chad. He goes, Nick, this is my Arlington Million horse. I go, yeah? He says, yep, watch. What does that horse do? Wins Arlington Million. So, the and that would have been this planning. is January, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the Arlington Million in, in the all, summer in August. Yeah, so that's one thing I'm taking from Chad. Um, he's a very meticulous planner, and and I'm just you know taking what I learned from him and tweaking it the way I want and and leaving it leaving some things. But like I said, militarist. Those four races, one, you know, maybe two of the four he'll go in, you know. Uh, but he's a real nice horse. And, um, you know, knock on wood, we'll have a pretty big year with these horses. I think you left one out, though. I His did. His name is uh, Injunction. Yes, he won at Churchill Downs, wire to wire. Yeah. If I'm not um, mistaken. This horse, he ran... At Ellis, finished second twice 
in a maiden special one turn mile. So we knew he was a, we knew he had potential. We bring him the day Danny Girl wins the stake at Keeneland. He wins, he gallops going seven eighths. And on Clark night, we ran him back and he did the same thing he did at Keeneland. He galloped. Um, Joel Rosario rode him to the T. And that horse, hopefully, we'll be looking at another big year from him. Um, so I heard people say, if that horse ran in the Clark, he would have been tough to beat in the Clark. So that was a uh, that was pretty pretty nice words from actually a couple sources saying that um, you know he would have been tough in the Clark. You know, sounds like you and and your father Carlo. Um, have a lot to look forward to in 2022. Yeah. And um, what I'm trying to do is is build a bit of a brand for myself. So what I'm going to try to do is with these horses and, and, you know, perfect timing, I guess. My dad's got the best horses he's ever had. Um, I'm a bit more seasoned, 22 now. And horse racing needs to be put on that map again, you know, and social media and you got to look at society. Now the world has evolved from, you know, the last generation. So, um, you know, I'm an outgoing guy. I think I'm a nice guy. I think, um, um, I'm a likable guy. I don't try to do nobody wrong. So, I am starting this series on YouTube, and what I'm going to do is have somebody, every time we run, not every time we run, but, you know, in stakes and, you know, special days, if I know, you know, this horse is going to go, the day's going to go nicely, I'm going to have uh, a cameraman follow me and record kind of the behind the scenes of of the day, kind of like embedded series. If you if you watch uh, UFC, they do it. They do a whole week ahead of the fight, and it's kind of behind the scenes. And I, I think that there's nothing like that out there on horse racing. So it's a niche that's never been touched. And I think that, you know, being one of the young guns, I guess you can call me, um, my generation can relate to me a little bit more and my product, the video is kind of altered to the younger generation, but any generation can watch it because it's, um, you know, in, uh, informal video, but, um, I try to aim towards, you know, I just try to convey who I am through the video and I put one out. It was on the Clark night. You'll see injunction run. You'll see militarist run on it. And, um, it was a bit short of one. I didn't want to just jam things down people's mouth of a, you know, 10, 15, 20 minute video. It's about seven minutes long, but going forward, I'm going to get a little bit more in depth on what we do and try to get the handicappers, younger kids just on Instagram and social media, 
to the fans watching on NBC that don't really follow, but I'm trying to get people into the game that aren't even looking at the game. You know, so, Where's, do you have it on a YouTube channel? Do you have your own YouTube yeah, channel? Yeah, I made my uh, I made a YouTube channel and posted it on there. Um, How can people I think find you? Can look you? Up, uh, just Nicholas Vacarez on YouTube. Uh, I've been typing Clark Handicap G1, like grade one, on YouTube. Clark Handicap G1. Uh, then you'll see like one of the top things is injunction. It's a picture of him winning and made by me, and I would love if you guys all gave it a check out. Um, like I said, I'm I'm trying to put racing on the hot spot, and, you know, in this industry, the actors, like in basketball, you got the players, you got the coaches, and in this, in, in, in this industry, you got who? Nobody's really grabbing the flag, taking a stand. You know, you got the jockeys, and I know a lot of jockeys that have their social media ran by professionals and stuff, which I love seeing. And trainers, not really much, you know. Um, People really can't connect to the game as they can to baseball or, you know, even UFC. You can watch the whole week of the fighters. The fighters week you can watch on YouTube. So... I figured I'm going to do the same for horse racing and, and try to better this place for everybody. Get more from Bruno by going to racingwithbruno.com.